Now, Luke uh, chapter 5 is our reading, and it's uh, verse, there are verses 17 to 25. The, if you need a Bible uh, to follow this, go to the uh, back there and you'll get a Bible. And as far as my memory lasts from there to here, I think it's page 1032 in the Bible, if you want to use the Bibles at the back. It's very close to it. If it's not 1032, it's 1031. Right, reading. One day, Jesus was teaching, and the Pharisees and the teachers of the law were sitting there. They had come from every village of Galilee and from Judea and Jerusalem. And the power of the Lord was with Jesus to heal those who were ill. Some men carrying a paralyzed man on a mat and tried to take him into the house to lay him before Jesus. When they could not find a way to do this because of the crowd, they went up on the roof and lowered him on his mat through the tiles into the middle of the crowd, right in front of Jesus. When Jesus saw their faith, he said, Friend, your sins are forgiven. The Pharisees and the teachers of the law began thinking to themselves, Who is this fellow who speaks blasphemy? Who can forgive sins but God alone? Jesus knew what they were thinking and asked, Why are you thinking these things in your hearts? Which is easier, to say your sins are forgiven or to say get up and walk? But I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. So he said to the paralyzed man, I tell you, get up, take your mat, and go home. Immediately he stood up in front of them, took what he had been lying on, and went home, praising God. Amen. Thank you, Roderick. Fantastic as ever. Shall we pray? Uh, Father God, we thank you for your word. Thank you that it is a light to our feet. And we pray uh, that it would be tonight that you would just light up the path before us. That as Paul was saying, you'd highlight certain parts of that passage, passage that where you really need to speak to our hearts and into our lives. Lord, we pray that we wouldn't leave here the same tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. If I don't know you, I'm Libby. I'm one of the clergy here. It's lovely to see you. Uh, if you're new or visiting, you're extra specially welcomed. Everybody else, riffraff, you know, not as important. Um, but it'd be lovely to say hello to you at the end if you're new or visiting us tonight. So we're going to think a bit about Jesus tonight as we look at this passage. You'll be really surprised to know, having come to church. Um, if you think about it, for the last 2,000 years, uh, Jesus has been admired across nations, across demographics, across socio and economic divides, and across religious divides. Even people and nations, people groups who wouldn't say that Jesus is God in human form, many of them will still say he's a good person, he's somebody to be admired. Indian human rights leader Mahatma Gandhi, who was a Hindu, he said this, what does Jesus mean to me? To me, he was one of the greatest teachers humanity has ever had. To his believers, 
he was God's only begotten son. Could the fact that I do or do not accept this belief make Jesus have any more or less influence in my life? Is all the grandeur of his teaching and of his doctrine to be forbidden to me? I cannot believe it us. It is. So basically, he is saying the stuff about Jesus, which as a Hindu is still really relevant to my life. And then comedian Billy Connolly, also wise in his own way, said, I cannot believe in Christianity, but Jesus was a wonderful man. Even in our 21st century, Western, liberal, secular society, where so few people now know anything about the Bible or Christian, the Christian faith, research has shown that Jesus himself is still without doubt the most famous person on the planet. But apart from his fame, uh, and apart from him, him being an object of admiration, I wonder what people today actually believe about who Jesus is and what he did. Maybe you tonight are here and you haven't decided yet what you think about Jesus. You're in the right place if that's you. But maybe think about your friends, your family neighbors, uh, family members, your neighbors, work colleagues, people that you go to university, school, wherever with, who perhaps don't come to church or wouldn't say that they're Christians. What do you think that they believe about Jesus? Why don't you just turn to somebody next to you uh, and share your answer to that question? What would you say the people you know are, are not Christians? What do you think they believe about Jesus? Just chat for a couple of minutes. Go for it. Be brave. Okay, uh, hopefully you've had some interesting conversations and you talked to somebody nice. Maybe you didn't know them before. Um, does anybody feel brave and want to shout out maybe one thing that you were chatting about in your uh, pair or your little grouping? Sorry? What? Flatmates. You were talking about your flatmates. Sorry, I didn't hear. I didn't hear what you said at the back. Anybody else? What do people believe about Jesus? What Billy Connolly said. He's a wonderful man. That's right. Any other ideas? Yeah, so made up like Father Christmas. Interestingly, I think more people believe he is actually a historical figure than don't, but absolutely, some people just think he's a, you know, somebody you can say a wish to uh, as well. We're going to come back to this question at the end. So hold the things that you've been talking about in the backs of your mind uh, for a few minutes because we're going to come back to this. But first, we're going to delve into this passage from Luke chapter 5, beginning at verse 17. Uh, you might want to have it open, but we're going to have different verses on the screen as well as we go through it. And we're going to see how different people in this passage respond to who Jesus is. Okay, we're going to see a few different responses. The first one is we're going to see a group of people who respond to Jesus with like desperation and determination. We're going to see people who respond in faith to Jesus. And then we're going to see some who are perplexed. They're trying to work out who is Jesus. And then others who then respond in praise. 
So firstly, we have the friends of the paralyzed man. And what strikes me about them is their huge determination to get their friend to Jesus. Jesus' fame at this point had started to spread around Judea and Galilee and Jerusalem. The word is spreading. And so a crowd has gathered where Jesus is and they're wanting to listen to him. They're hanging on his every word. And among them are this group of men with their friend who is paralyzed. Now, this group of men, they've probably heard stories uh, being chatted about in the marketplace of Jesus who has healed the sick already. If you look uh, uh, before this in Luke's gospel, you'll see that Jesus has been going around healing the sick. And so they have hope beyond hope that maybe this man, this miracle worker, is the one who'll be able to heal their friend. And so they've probably run off to their mate's house, picked him up in some sort of makeshift stretcher, and rushed him back to the place where Jesus is. But then as they approach the house, there's this huge gathering, this huge crowd of people who are also wanting to get to Jesus, also wanting to hear what he has to say, and they're blocking the door. Now, they could have turned around in this moment and just given up and headed home. Or they could have just kept pushing through. And they chose the second option because they're desperate for their friend. They're determined to bring their friend to Jesus. Now, back in the day, when I was super cool, I know you're sat there thinking, but Libby, you are so cool. Thanks. Um, when I was like super cool, and I used to go to gigs. I'm going to a gig this month. I haven't been for like centuries, uh, but Coldplay, Mark Cameron. Anybody else going to Coldplay in Glasgow? Give us a wave. Fantastic. Probably won't see you there at all. Um, but when I was like super cool, I used to go to gigs on a regular basis as opposed to once every 20 years. I was at this uh, venue called St. George's Hall in Bradford, which is where I used to live. It was just sweaty and drippy and disgusting. And I was watching the band James. Now, even if you're not as old as me, you will know James because you'll know the song Oh, sit down, oh, sit down. Yeah, that one? Yeah? Give me a smile. You know you're with me. Okay, so I was watching uh, James, and me and my friends were downstairs, like in the mosh pit area, because we were really cool. Uh, and about halfway through the night, I got separated uh, from my friends. And this was the day, in the days before mobile phones. So you had to stick with your mates, because otherwise you wouldn't see them for like ever, for about a week afterwards. Um, and I got separated from my friends, and I saw them quite near the front and I was quite near the back downstairs and I was thinking how am I getting to get through this heaving seething mass of people to my mates and so what I decided to do in the madness of the moment was literally throw myself into this like jumping group of people and just hope that gradually I'd be moved along and to meet my mates. And I literally thought I was going to die in that moment. I thought I'm going to disappear under everybody and get trampled and never be seen again. Uh, but eventually I did get to my friends. Uh, I had a few bruises and scrapes and it, I smelt like I'd had a bath in beer, which I basically had as well. But somehow, I managed to get through the crowd to my mates. Now, if you've ever been caught up in a crowd, you'll know how hard it is to get through a group of people to where you need to go to. And this is the situation that the friends of the paralyzed man are in, and they are determined 
and they spot these stairs, because that's how houses were built in those days uh, in that uh, area of the Middle East. There were stairs that went up the outside of the house, and they spotted the stairs that went through up the outside of the house, uh, uh, and they thought, that is the answer. Those stairs lead to the flat roof. And so the friends carefully carry their friend sort of around the group of people up the stairs, reach the roof, and they begin to take the tiles off the roof of the house. And they get their mate, who's probably absolutely traumatized at this point, and lower the man down on his stretcher right in front of Jesus. Now, the determination and the love that these men have for their friends means that their aim is fulfilled. And they manage to get their friend into a position where he gets to meet with Jesus himself. I found that really striking when I was reading this passage this week. The friend's role here is simply to get their mate in front of Jesus. So who is it now that God is putting on your heart who you need to bring to a place where they can meet with Jesus? Who is it that perhaps you need to invite along to church one Sunday night or morning? Or invite to the next Alpha course starting in September? Who is it that God has almost put before you and you just need to take the courage to have that conversation? Maybe give them a Bible lead them towards Jesus. So the first people responded with such determination. And then secondly, the next response to Jesus is one of faith. Now, think about this for a moment. Being paralyzed, even in today's world with all the advances in technology and medicine and human rights, is still unbelievably tough. I can't imagine what it must be like on a day-to-day basis. So imagine now what life was like for this man 2,000 years ago, where his paralysis would have meant that he was a social and religious outcast. It would probably have meant for most people that they would be destitute. It meant that if they did have a family, they would have been a burden on their family. It would have probably meant that an early death was guaranteed. Life was probably just really tough, hard, miserable, desperate. And so this guy who's been brought to Jesus was probably in a bit of a desperate state, losing all hope. And so imagine how he felt as his friends say, we're going to take you to this guy, Jesus. He's a, he's a miracle worker. He's been doing stuff all over the place. And he might be the one who makes me well, the guy's thinking. And it's obvious to everybody when they look at the paralyzed man what his greatest need is, isn't it? He's paralyzed. And so it's obvious that his friends who lowered him through the roof and the Pharisees and the crowd that is gathered, they're expecting Jesus to heal him. He needs to be able to walk. It's obviously his greatest need. But Jesus... When he lands at Jesus' feet, Jesus looks at this man lying in front of him, and he sees him. Now, did you notice that? He sees him. He sees the man beyond the outward appearance, 
beyond the obvious physical needs that he has. And he sees this man's deepest need. He sees this man's brokenness. He, th- he sees the things in th- this man's life that he really struggles with. He sees his heart. A- and then he looks up and he sees the man's friend probably peering through the roof thinking, what on earth is going to happen now? And he sees the faith of those men who have battled through the crowd, who are determined And he sees how they've done everything that they can, even tearing a roof apart to get their mate to Jesus. And then he sees again the faith of this paralyzed man who believes that maybe Jesus has the power to heal me. But then what does he do? He doesn't heal him. He says, friend, your sins are forgiven. Like big letdown moment, I think, isn't it? Forgiveness. But actually, there's something deeply significant here, because forgiveness comes first. You see, Jesus sees that this man's deepest need, his greatest need, is not actually what it appears on the surface. It's not for physical healing, but it's to be saved from his sin. Jesus is offering this man a far greater rescue than anyone expected. Because forgiveness brings salvation, and salvation lasts for eternity. And so ultimately, forgiveness for sin is is the deepest need of all of us, isn't it? And all our humanity. And that's why Jesus came. Jesus came to forgive us and restore us to the Father for eternity. Because we all sin. Now, not necessarily in like really bad ways, we, we might be sat there thinking, you know, I'm not a bad person. I'm sure you're not. You know, you're all really nice and good in lots of ways. But we sin, John Mark Comer says, we sin because we believe a lie about what will make us happy. Now, I find this really helpful. We sin because we believe a lie about what will make us happy. What this means is that in our weakness as human beings... We just get sucked into the lies of the world, don't we? And so what happens is we we make idols of things. That means we worship things or we put them as number one in our lives because we believe those things will make us happy. We become greedy or, or materialistic and go after money and success and stuff because we believe this lie that's sold us by the world, that money will make us happy. We believe the lie that sex is our right as human beings, and that sex equals love, and being able to express our sexuality however we want, as long as it doesn't hurt anybody, will make us happy. So we sin because we believe a lie about what will make us happy. And we all sin and we all need forgiveness. And so we might be sat here uh, before Jesus thinking, but I've got all sorts of other stuff going on in my life. My primary need is, is maybe an ailment, something I'm struggling with every day that dominates my life. It's on my mind all the time, not sin. And don't misunderstand Jesus because Jesus sees all those things too as he saw and had compassion on that man lying before him who was paralyzed. But for every single one of us in this room, 
the first and the greatest need in our lives and the lives of everybody out there as well is to be saved from our sin and to know forgiveness and freedom that that brings and ultimately the salvation that Jesus brings us for eternity. And so that is why when you read the Gospels, do read a Gospel, read Luke this week, it's fantastic. When we read the Gospels, we find that forgiveness is the core business of Jesus. He forgives himself. He teaches about forgiveness. He sends his followers out with this message, go and forgive and teach forgiveness, show people what that looks like. And ultimately, the cross of Jesus is all about forgiveness. Paul says in Romans 5, but God demonstrates his own love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So the second response is about faith, but it's also about allowing us to be seen by Jesus and accepting his forgiveness. And then this leads us to the third response to Jesus in this passage. Uh, To those people who are looking and going, what on earth is going on? Who is this Jesus? So the Pharisees and the teachers of the law are in the crowd. And, And the Pharisees are this group of like unofficial religious leaders who are just hugely influential in the time of Jesus. Uh, And they've been making religion uh, all about the external, about being seen to do the right thing. Maybe you've been part of a sort of setup like that before where it's all about being seen to go to church, you know, three times a day and ticking the boxes sort of thing, even though going to church is a great thing. Don't negate it. Come to church. Um, It was all about being seen to do the right thing. And they're really not bothered, aren't the Pharisees, about what's going on in people's hearts. They're just really bothered about people going through the external stuff of religiosity. And so here is Jesus, this good man, this healer man, who up to this point has raised their interest but hasn't done anything too serious to rock the boat too much. And here he is in this moment offering this man forgiveness himself. And they're thinking, who is this man that speaks blasphemy? Who can forgive sins but God alone? Who can forgive sins but God alone? Exactly. Without realizing it, they have nailed Jesus for who he is. You know, up to this point, remember that, you know, forgiveness had all been wrapped up in in going to the temple and the temple system of sacrifices and the day of atonement and priestly ministry. And now here is Jesus just slicing through everybody's understanding of who and how forgiveness is achieved. This, This paralyzed man, this obvious sinner, he's unclean because that's what they believed, is being forgiven by Jesus, who's just a bloke. He isn't even a priest. And here he is telling him that his sins are forgiven. He's claiming the authority of God to forgive sins. And then see what happens next in this passage. Jesus' power to forgive sins and then to heal go together. If Jesus can do one, then he can do the other. And so he says to the Pharisees, which is easier to say? Your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up and walk. But that you may know that the Son of Man, that's him, 
has authority on earth to forgive sins, he says to the paralyzed man, I tell you, get up, your mat, get up, take your mat, and go home. So he's basically saying, you can't see, you guys out there, that I have done uh, what I have done in this man's life. You cannot see uh, into his heart. You can't see that I've rescued him from sin because it, to all intents and purposes, forgiveness is invisible. And so it's the physical healing which will show you that I have the power and authority of God. And so what happens? The man in that moment, you know, a moment that wouldn't look out of place, would it, at the end of a big Netflix series, to be honest. He just stands up, takes his mat, and walks through the people and goes home. This man had met Jesus, he'd received forgiveness, and he isn't left the same. His life is completely transformed by that meeting with Jesus, both his heart and his physical life as well. And what about all the crowds of people who've been watching this incident? Well, they respond to Jesus too. We read in verse 26 that the crowd watching on uh, were amazed and they give praise to God. They don't sit around muttering to each other saying, oh, what a lovely man that Jesus is. We really admire him. He's ever so good, isn't he? Uh, you know, what fun, what fun we've had on this Friday afternoon or whatever it was. Or what a wise man he was. What they have just witnessed will have blown their minds. It didn't leave them the same. That was not an option. Jesus, his power to forgive sins and his ability to transform somebody's life, it only could point to him being God. And so they go off praising God. Someone says this, Jesus was God spelling himself out in a language humanity could understand. And so their response could only be to praise God. Think back to that question that we were chatting about a few moments ago, about what, what do you think your friends, your family members, your work colleagues, your neighbors, uh, those that perhaps don't come to church, wouldn't say they're Christians, what do they think about Jesus? I expect many of us, if we're honest, think that our not yet Christian friends or family members are, are perhaps so far from faith in Jesus that there is just no way we can be like those friends in this story. There's no way we could go around to somebody's house and go, hey guys, Jesus in town, come and meet him. I'm going to take you. Come on, come with me and expect our friends to actually come with us and actually have an encounter with Jesus. If that's you, consider this. Earlier this year, a huge UK-wide survey was conducted by a research company. It's the second time this research has been done. It is fascinating. It's called Talking Jesus. You can go on YouTube and you can uh, watch a sort of summary of it. It's a really, it's a, it's a really excellent piece of research and it's fascinating. And it showed this. 6% of the UK population would now say that they are practicing Christians, okay? In 2022, this research was done in January and February this year. 
So that means uh, by practicing Christians, we mean uh, they go to church at least once a month and they read their Bible and pray uh, sort of weekly at some point. You might call this like 6% like team evangelism. Uh, You know, if you put yourself in that, you're the sort of person that wants to tell other people about Jesus. And yet, even though only 6% of the population would say that they're practicing Christians, the research found this. 20% of the UK population would say that Jesus is God in human form who lived amongst people in the first century. Now, isn't that fascinating? 20% of people basically believe when they're asked, who is Jesus, that Jesus is God, a primary core of Christian belief. And yet only 6% of people would say that they're committed Christians. And 16% of the UK population believe in the resurrection of Jesus as it's described in the Bible. They wouldn't question the evidence of the resurrection as it's described in the Bible. And another 29%, if you look at the line below that, believe in the resurrection of Jesus, even though some of the story in the Bible cannot be taken literally, they would say. This means that today, a good chunk of the UK population, and this is across different uh, socioeconomic groups and different demographics and different ethnicities who are not practicing Christians, because that's only 6% of the population, don't just admire Jesus and think that he is a good spiritual leader, 33% of them think that, but actually already believe in some of the fundamentals of the Christian faith about Jesus. Then look at this. Of those non-Christians who have had a conversation with a Christian friend, because this is another part of the research, uh, those people who had a conversation with a friend who they know is a Christian, they would say that 75% 75 of them said that they felt really comfortable having that conversation with their Christian mate. 35 agreed that they felt more positive, uh, 35% felt more positive towards Jesus after the conversation with their Christian friend. 33% agreed that they wanted to know more about Jesus after the chat that they'd had with their Christian friend. And 36% were then open to an experience or an encounter with Jesus having heard about Jesus from their Christian mate. And so this survey reveals that people are perhaps nearer to faith in Jesus than we might expect. When I heard that, I was like, wow, that took me by surprise. Maybe your neighbors, your work colleagues, your friends that are in your mind that maybe you thought about earlier, you know, they might already be on the stretcher they might already be willing to be led to Jesus. I hope that gives you confidence. It gives me confidence. So the friends in Luke 5, you know, their job was simply to bring their friend to Jesus. And it was Jesus who did the rest. It was Jesus who saw into that man's heart. It was Jesus who forgave. It was Jesus who healed. It was Jesus who saved. So what about you and I? What's the challenge for us today? So first question, do you know Jesus? 
Do you know that he sees into your heart and he knows you? And if you come to him and you confess your sins, he promises that he will forgive you and give you new life so that you can be in this amazing relationship with the Father God. So do you know Jesus for yourself? Secondly, if you know Jesus, then you know the best news ever. And so who is it that that God is perhaps putting onto your heart and mind to lead to him? It might be that you need to sort of commit to spend August, like investing in some of your friendships and relationships, being a friend, bringing Jesus up in the conversation. Because remember, we've just discovered that there's much more favor towards Christians and Jesus than perhaps we expected when we came into church tonight. And just see what happens. And then thirdly, uh, the survey goes on to show that that non-Christians are really favorable towards Christians. They would describe Christians, they were asked to describe uh, Christians' uh, character, and they would say they're really kind, they're really helpful. They're not, the words that we would expect, like hypocrites, you know, miserable, horrible people, just didn't feature on it. There's a lot of favor and warmth uh, from non-Christians towards Christians. And one thing that I was really challenged by was this. I was thinking about how so often we're reluctant to invite our friends to Jesus because we're scared about what they might say in response. But I was thinking, you know, do I ever worry about asking my mate uh, to go out for a glass of wine with me on a Friday night? No, it never occurs to me to worry about it. I just text a friend and say, hey, do you fancy coming around for a glass of wine. You know, maybe if you play squash or some sport and you're trying to gather up a group of people together, do you go, actually, I'm going to pray about it for a month and then I'll ask these mates if they want to play football on a Tuesday night. That would just like be a bit of a strange thing to do. Now, I'm not knocking, praying about stuff, but maybe we use that as a bit of an excuse when we're thinking about leading our friends towards Jesus and inviting them onto this journey. We say, well, I've got this person that God's put on my heart, but I'm going to like pray about it for a month. It might be you want to pray that you have an encounter or an opportunity, but don't use it as an excuse not to invite them as well. So we're going to respond now and we're going to pray. Uh, Let's just stand together. We've been sitting down for a little while. We're going to worship as well in a moment if the band wants to, to just pop up. And I wonder if there's different things that we need to respond to in this moment. Maybe that first question, which was, do you know Jesus? Do you know that Jesus uh, has forgiven your sins? Do you know that he is your savior? And maybe tonight, for the first time, you need to go, yeah, you know, I, you know, I get it. I don't 100% understand it all. And don't worry if you don't. I don't, and I've been a Christian for five million years and been doing this job. I don't understand everything there is to know about Jesus and God. Don't worry about that. But if there's enough in you to go, yeah, actually, this Jesus is awesome, and I want to follow him. Maybe tonight in this moment, you want to just say to, to him, Here I am, Jesus. Please forgive me of my sins. Help me to follow you. I give my life to you. And do come and chat to Paul or myself at the end. We'd love to to chat to you if that's you. 
We'd like to also give you an opportunity to perhaps bring that person that earlier on I said, you know, was there somebody that really is on your heart, a friend, a neighbor, somebody from university, school, work, whatever, where, where they're on your mind that you want to bring them to Jesus? Now, you can just do this where you're sat and you can just name them before God. He knows the situation. He knows what's going on. You might want to pray for an opportunity uh, to bring them to Jesus. But it might help you uh, to actually do something sort of physical as well while we're, while we're singing the songs we're going to sing in a minute. On the floor over here, we've got a, a, um, a sheet, a white sheet. We actually pretended to lower down the paralyzed man from up there on it earlier today. Um, but as a sort of symbolic thing, while we're worshiping, you might want to come forward and just gather around this sheet, just stand by this sheet and sort of symbolically just pray for that person that God has put up on your heart, that you want to bring to him tonight, that you long to come to know him as well. And so we've got those two opportunities, so do take those if you'd like. But I'm just going to pray for us, and then we're going to worship, and please respond as you feel that God is prompting you to do. So let's pray. Jesus, we love you. We thank you that you love us. Thank you that you see into our hearts. You see those places in our lives where, you know, we have made idols of things, where we have sort of just gone along with the lies of the world. And love of some of us, we just need to start by saying sorry and bringing the stuff in our life where we've wandered away from you to you and asking you to forgive us and to cleanse us and to make us new. Lord, we thank you for those people that, we've, that you've also been sort of rumbling around our minds through this evening. Those people that we perhaps long to bring to you. Or for somebody else to bring to you because we might not be the right person. Lord, give us courage and confidence and that determination that those friends have to bring those people to you in prayer and in action if that's what's required as well. And Lord, help us, like that crowd did at the end, to praise you and give you all the glory for what we've seen you do in our lives, for what we see you do in the world around us, and for what we see you do in other people's lives as well. And so we praise you and we give you the glory now in Jesus' name. Amen.